Hey everybody, welcome to Volts for April 22nd, 2022. Volts podcast, Horace Luke on decarbonizing the world's two-wheelers. I'm your host, David Roberts. Electric vehicles are all the rage these days, but at least here in the Western world, most of the attention is focused on four-wheeled passenger vehicles. First Tesla, and then all the companies trying to catch up with Tesla. However, across the globe, more than 50% of commute miles are undertaken on two-wheelers, scooters, mopeds, and the like. China, India, and Indonesia alone contain more than 500 million two-wheelers. Anyone who has visited big cities in those countries has seen the vehicles swarming the streets. And they are dirty as hell. Their two-stroke motors emit as much as five times the pollutants of the average new car in the U.S., Millions of people have died from two-wheeler pollution, to say nothing of the climate impacts. But two-wheelers are difficult to electrify. Their owners tend not to have extra cash, theft is a constant danger, and urban density makes plugging in, especially in a place sheltered from the elements, difficult. Today's guest, Horace Luke, set out to solve this problem with his company Gogoro, founded in 2011. The idea was simple. Consumers would own the scooters, but Gogoro would own the batteries, which would be made available in stations across the urban fabric, such that riders could easily find one to swap. Consumers would subscribe to the service, effectively ensuring that they would always have a charged battery available. The company took a different course than he expected. Gogoro ended up building its own scooters, stations, and batteries, doing far more hardware than the software-minded Luke had originally envisioned, but his persistence won out, and the model is taking off, preparing to expand from Taiwan, where it started, to a range of other burgeoning megacities in emerging economies. It's a clever model, a mental shift that opens up all kinds of new possibilities, so I was excited to chat with Luke about the problem of two-wheelers, the consumer experience of subscribing to Gogoro, and the other kinds of things outside of transportation that cities might be able to do with thousands of distributed, swappable batteries. So without further ado, welcome Horace Luke to Volts. Thanks for coming. Thanks, David. I'm so taken by this whole idea here, and I'm I'm guessing our listeners are probably not super familiar with it since the whole problem of two-wheelers is not particularly something we think of as a problem here in domestic U.S. So just by way of background, before we jump in, tell us a little bit about the problem of two-wheelers, where where they are and how dirty they are and how big of a sort of a part of the climate problem they are. Thanks, David. Well, most of the people in the audience probably don't realize that over 50% of all commute miles done every day is actually done on two-wheelers. Huh, that's, in the wor- that's in the world. That's globally. That's globally. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, while we look at it in the United States as more of a recreational or, you know, or something kind of within a very, very short distance commute, People in the East, such as, you know, Vietnam, Thailand, China, India, you know, and, and, and Indonesia, if you've been to Vietnam or Indonesia at all, you'll realize that you can't cross the street without, you know, being hit by one if you're not careful. <laughs> you know, right. they're, they're just everywhere. You know, in, in just China, uh, India, and Indonesia alone, there is over 500 million two-wheelers roaming around every day. Oh, my goodness. Right? Taking people to school you know, taking people to work, you know, going to the market. 
they are the absolute utility dependency vehicle that people look for when they're moving around town. And people on average ride, you know, close to about somewhere between 300 miles to 600, 700 miles a, a, a month. Oh, wow. And so these are being used a lot. And unfortunately, because of the two-wheeler, um, just the, the economics of it, the chance of them being very clean is actually not, not very high. When compared to a gasoline vehicle, you know, in, let's say, California, you're talking about five times more pollutants uh, coming out of the tailpipe easily per kilometer. And then on top of that, you know, you've got people using not premium fuel, you know, and other, other carelessness when, when it comes to owning that vehicle that makes owning a two-wheel vehicle extremely polluting. Add on top of that, they're usually, you know, being used in densely populated cities all over the world. Right. Uh, so where thousands of people are living on top of each other. You know, if, you, if you're walking down the street, you can definitely smell it, feel it. Uh, you, can, you can feel the heat from them. And so, you know, it, it, it is an essential problem that we need to solve. And my history is I've, I grew up on the West Coast of the uh, United States. I worked for Microsoft where I was uh, one of the original founders of Xbox. Uh, and then eventually uh, was fortunate enough to work and led the Windows XP, uh, kind of the user experience and the product experience side of the business. And then eventually, I believe in computing so much and shrinking that into your pocket that I went and moved myself to uh, Taiwan, where I worked for a company called High Tech Computer at the time. Now it became, it became HTC, or to the Americans, probably uh, my you know the MyTouch phones in in T-Mobile or the uh, the Verizon Droid. Oh, yeah. Those are the phones I created. Yeah, I created some of the world's first uh, Android phones, you know, and, and, and was pretty successful there. And uh, as I travel around Asia and I looked around and I said, okay, well, you know, I made that company now the number one in the world, shipping 43 million phones a year. And now what? You know, and as you look around, I was, I was actually age 40 and I was looking around and I said, you know, the, the world is 16 core processor, 32 core processor, or is the world moving to, you know, 5G and, and then to 6G and beyond, is that really, you know, the end game? Right. You know, is human co- computing to, to make a human more efficient and more productive really the, the way of the future or is sustainability? And so, you know, of course, you know, I, I, I pick sustainability. I, I really think that this is the decade of sustainability and mobility plays a huge role within that and trying to figure out how to get the other half of the hemisphere, not the Western half, but really the, the eastern half, to really adopt electric was the essential problem that, that we needed to solve. And with GoGuro, we did that. The, 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 the beauty behind GoGuro, the, the most important part behind GoGuro is really the swap-and-go battery swapping system. So our business model, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. So you look at these cities, they're choked with these two-wheelers. These two-wheelers are some of the most uh, dirty <laughs> engines possible, like tons dirtier than much larger cars here in the U.S. And you're trying to think about how to solve this problem. You know, one way would just be to make electric, just to do the same thing, you know, we've been doing with cars, which is just go electric. But for some reason, that's not going to work. Like, why why isn't that sort of the intuitive solution? Just make electric versions of these scooters. Well, in most of the part of the world where two wheelers are really massively adopted, you know, people live in apartment buildings stacked on top of each other. You know, thousands and thousands of people live on top of each other. And these vehicles are being parked on the side of the road very, very, you know, in a very ad hoc kind of way. Mm. And so now you've got nowhere to park. So you really don't have a solution for the nighttime, you know, charging, right? Right. And then now, 
during the daytime, during commute, you okay, get well, you know, some technology is emerging for fast charging. Maybe you know something like fifteen minutes, ten minutes for you know about fifty percent charge. You know, maybe that's doable. But you know, you got to realize that you know, in a two wheeler, you don't have the comfort of a sofa. You don't have the comfort <laughs> of a stereo system. You don't have the comfort of <laughs> right. of an environment that you're protected against the the natural elements. And so. If some, if David, you're you're in front of me, and somebody else in front of you, we're talking half an hour to forty five minutes, exposed to the rain, exposed right. to the heat, exposed to the sun, and that that just makes it almost impossible. Plus, on top of that, the economics of it, right? Now you got batteries, now you got fast charger, now you got trying to figure out how much does that vehicle actually cost, right? And so, by removing the battery from that purchase equation. We actually help the user adopt the electric solution much quicker. And instead of buying the battery and charging it yourself, you just stop by one of our, our stations, we call Go Station, battery swapping station, and you just swap out the battery. I'm curious, like when you, you know, back in 2011, when you seems like it's like so long ago, you know, when you first started GoGrow, did you did this sort of like vision just come upon you altogether? All this idea that you take the battery out of the scooter and make the batteries interchangeable. So you do fast swapping of batteries rather than having the consumer own the battery. Did that just sort of like come to you in a flash? Is that what the company has always been about? The company has always been about that. On day one, we actually started the company with uh, 27 desks. We were thinking that we're a software company helping to, you know, kind of create the algorithm and the, and the efficiency of, of swapping these batteries and managing these batteries. One thing we knew was that, you know, how you charge these batteries and how, you know, when you charge them is very important to keeping in managing the, the lifespan of these batteries. Right. And if you're, you know, if you're starting a company thinking about sustainability, it's not just about, you know, greenwashing or riding the, the electric hype. It's really about how do you take the resources and minerals that are out of the ground today mm. and extend the life, you know, the lifetime of use for as long as possible. That's where we started. And that's the thesis in which we started. And then we were looking for people to build, you know, the vehicle. We we're looking for people to to build the motor. We we're looking for people to build the station, et cetera, et cetera. And and to be very honest with you, it sounds like a broken record. A lot of companies start very, very small, and then eventually found out, hey, that's something nobody can do. So let's go do that. <laughs> and then eventually, now now we're like fully stacked. We build our own smart batteries. You know, we took the technology that we did with smartphone. And we kind of turn it upside down. Think about battery as a smartphone that doesn't have a big screen on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so we took the, the ability to, to update and wirelessly connect to our, to our battery and created, you know, perhaps the world's you know, most, uh, most powerful little battery that powered two wheelers and three wheelers. So you eventually got into making the scooters, making the batteries and making the battery banks that the batteries are, are stored in just because you couldn't find anybody else to sort of do it any better. Absolutely. I, 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 you know, I, I have this policy in our, in, our, in our company where you ask twice, and then if you ask three times, that, that means that you should have done it yourself. So the first time you ask somebody, say, hey, can you help me with this? And they're like, you know, that's kind of impossible. And then you go to the second guy and like, you're crazy. You know, you're crazy, man. You can't, you can't make that happen. That, that energy density is not something you can do. Uh, and if our science works out that, and our math works out that you could, then we try and do it ourselves. So today we build our own motor. We still build the world's uh, most powerful and densest uh, small compact motor for, for mobility today. You know, a, a tiny little motor that powers about seven kilowatt. We, we're, you know, about 10 uh, horsepower. 
it's a replacement of a 125cc, the popular 125cc or so. Uh, we built our own batteries. We built our own station. We even designed our own charger. We, you know, we, we subcontract out the bi-directional uh, you know, inverter that's in our, in our station today. We even geek out on tires. You know, a lot of energy <laughs> is actually lost on tires. Yeah. So I actually sit down with the team to look at the compound, the tread pattern, the profile of the tire uh-huh. so that we can actually save energy on, on, on tires to go as far as we can go. So we're, we're really a you know, curious bunch uh, <laughs> that, really, that really just want to make electric mobility a possibility in these big cities. Describe sort of like how this, like if I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a citizen, say, of, of Taiwan and, and I use a scooter, I need a scooter for, for my business, for my personal life. What is the consumer experience like? Like, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I sign up for? What do I buy? Yeah. So first you, you, you'd be curious about electric mo- mobility, right? You're like, hey, no, instead of my gas vehicle, you know, by the way, in Taiwan, there's 14 million two wheelers on the ground for a population of slightly over 22 million people. Wow. So if you don't count the old people, you don't count the young people, you literally have a vehicle per person. Right. So, you, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm replacing my old vehicle or, you know, I'm going to college, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to buy a, a new vehicle. Then you decide, okay, electric. And today with electric in Taiwan, uh, before I started in 2015 was the first vehicle we launched, you know, electric electric solution was really less than one percent of the overall sold in. So in comparison, mm. Tesla in the in, in, in United States is about three to four percent. So you know, electric was really less than one percent. And today uh, in Taipei, you know, last year we ended the year with about twenty six percent in Taipei itself overall in the overall market. Uh, we're about uh, somewhere between twelve thirteen percent overall in the in the average market if you count all the rural area and the, and the densely populated area and that's mostly scooters that's mostly scooters all scooters uh, and and what's amazing is that our battery swapping system accounts for uh, 95 percent of all the uh, electric vehicles sold so we are not only grew the market from one percent to ten x. But also at the same time, you know, we became the de facto standard when it comes to people adopting electric. And when I say that is because we partner with people not only with our own brand vehicle, but we also partner with people like Yamaha, Suzuki, uh, Suzuki Taiwan, Aon, uh, PGO. So I have a if I'm going out to replace my vehicle with an electric and I want to use the GoGoro battery system, I have a bunch of different brands of scooters to choose from they can all accommodate your battery in other words yeah not only brand but design and functionality and you know think of us really as the android of ev or the <laughs> windows, right. windows and intel of of computing right so we're 47 different models across 10 different brands oh, so wow. lots of shops around town right and then when you pick one basically you buy the vehicle you choose the horsepower you like you choose the design you like, you choose the form factor, and you choose the brand because the you know brand at the end of the day you know has different performance, different affinity to the brand. And then you choose one, and then you, you then buy the vehicle, and then you subscribe to our battery swapping system. And with the subscription, it's kind of like a mobile operator plan. You know, with for those of us who are old enough to remember mobile operator plans, you used to have fixed minutes and fixed messaging. And then yeah, you buy the bundle pack in the front, right? The more you buy the less you pay for overage per minute or per, per message. Same thing with us. We have plans ranging from all you can ride, you know, where you pay and, and, and you can go crazy and ride all you want. Or you can buy a little bit and, you know, start with something like 10 bucks and about 60 miles. And then everything over that, you pay per, you know, in, in Taiwan, it's kilometer, you pay per kilometer on an overage. So the more you pay up front per month, 
the more you get. And then we even have like carryover miles, just like you have carryover minutes. Think of it, we apply the mobile operator model to a battery swapping uh, usability. <laughs> so if I'm just an average citizen of Taiwan, I mean, obviously, the I don't know how to translate the currencies exactly, but like try to give us a, like an American a sense of if you translated it to American dollars, like what what is a monthly uh, sort of average monthly fee? Okay, so average monthly fee starts from about ten bucks. Uh, you get about 60, 60 miles or one hundred kilometer, and for every kilometer or point six miles overage, uh, you pay. I think it is about three pennies or, or, or so, a mm. little bit over, and then you accumulate, right? And then you find yourself snapping to let's say the next plan, which is about uh, sixteen bucks, seventeen bucks. And then for that, you get a little bit more uh, kilometer on a pre-bundle. Right. And then you just kind of keep going up and up and up on the, on the mileage. So I've got this, uh, I've got this subscription. I'm, you know, I'm riding around with one of your batteries. I'm getting low. I look for uh, a battery bank. What do these things look like? And, and how, like, is this the kind of thing where like now I just, in the U.S., I just got, I just bought an electric vehicle. And so now I have to be sort of cognizant of like where chargers are there's not a ton of them, <laughs> you know, they're pretty widely scattered. So I'm, I'm just curious, sort of, what's the user experience of swapping a battery? Like, how long does it take? What does it look like? And, ha- and, and how common are these battery banks? How easy to find are they? Uh, in Taiwan, we've been actually going at this for about a little more than six years, almost seven years. And we are now um, about 2,200 locations all through Taiwan. Um, so in metropolitan area, we're more dense than gas station. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we have... Uh, by the end of this year, we will definitely be more than more than gas station locations across the island. And then if you think about how many cabinets, we have slightly over 11,000 cabinets. So they're really literally like ATM machines. They think of them as either ATM machines or Coca-Cola machines. Right. And we put them in places like uh, convenience stores, cafes, uh, universities, uh, train station, bus stations, supermarkets. You name them, uh, you know, instead of gas station where you need a huge plot of land and you need a safe you know a a kind of safe circumference around it we don't uh we can place them underneath your apartment building we can place it wherever it's most convenient for people it's like a vending machine basically right it's like an oversized vending machine more or less yeah it's like a vending machine it's like a you know it's it's literally like a coca-cola vending machine so this is not something like i don't have to sit around thinking and worrying about this they're common enough that like if i'm running low there's probably one close by yeah literally you are you are within um quarter mile from each one and the average distance that our consumer rides about is about 40 50 miles and so they swap every maybe three and a half days or so um they don't do it every day the range wise we're about 60 70 percent of gasoline vehicle but with a lot more convenience than the gasoline vehicle. We can actually swap a battery out in, you know, this is a funny bit. We, we can swap out batteries in less than uh, less than a couple of seconds. But when we do that, people people think our, our system is broken. But we didn't <laughs> we didn't do the bill right or, you know, we spit out the wrong battery. So what I like, uh, I lift up the seat and it's under the seat and then I just pull it out. There's like a handle. I pull it out and I put it in the, I put it in the bank. Yeah. And then how does the bank, when I put it in, when I replace, you know, I put it in one of the empty holes in the bank, does the system know it's me somehow or do I swipe a card or how does it, how, how is it tied to my account? Great question. 
we wanted to make that user experience as seamless as possible. I think one of the things that we needed to absolutely do is make it so much better than gasoline from a user experience perspective that right. people want to switch over. So no, no credit card needed, no phone needed, nothing needed. You pop, put your battery in, and because our battery has NFC on it, and it carries your, your credentials, who you are, how many kilometers you're in, and you put your battery in, and then it calculates, did you pay your bill? How much is needed for this time? And then it, it, it takes a look at you know, how you wrote it, how much energy you use, and then it picks the right battery and spit a new one out for you that is fully charged. Uh-huh. And that battery is then you know programmed for you. So let's say, David, if I stole your battery from your vehicle, and I, I, I walk down and, hey, that's, that, there's a battery, and steal it and put it in my vehicle, it just won't work. Uh-huh. The security system is actually tied to you. And so essentially, you know, you can feel confident having these expensive batteries in your vehicle, but yet it won't be stolen because it just simply doesn't work. You know, a, a stolen good is, is, is no good if, if you can't resell it or reuse it. So that's theft proof then. There's no, there's no point to trying to steal these things. Because this was, you know, this is another thing I wonder about with these big burgeoning developing mega cities and the scooters just lying around everywhere. I would imagine that theft is a big, is a big problem. But this, you know, if you're, if a stolen scooter won't work for you, that seems like you're sort of cutting out theft at a stroke there. Yeah, you're cutting out theft on the battery. You're also cutting out theft on vehicles. We've had people, for example, um, if I go to your desk and steal your key, right? And then I ride your vehicle away and you go back to your desk and you're like, hey, where's my, where's, where's my, where's my bike? Right. And then you just call our customer center and you say, hey, man, you know, somebody stole my bike. Can you put, a, put an alert on your network? So we do. We put a network, you know, alert on the network. So when the guy that stole your bike put a battery in to swap, we just lock up that battery. So <laughs> now your battery is locked. Now your vehicle handle lock is locked. And so all you can do is push that vehicle in circles. <laughs> and we know exactly where it is. And so we can send the guy out to pick up the bike. And, you know, literally there, there has been no theft on our network because it's unstealable. You can't steal it. That's wild. Yeah. And even if you steal it and, and you don't swap, you're talking about a circumference of no more than, let's say, you know, 60 miles, right? Right. A one-way drive. <laughs> a one-way drive, exactly. <laughs> one-way drive. And so, you know, that system is designed in a way that allows the consumer to say, well, there are all these other factors that are so much better than owning a gasoline vehicle that, you know, when, when consumer goes out and take a loan out from the bank, the bank gives a really low rate to the consumer because the system can be, you know, can be locked, right? Right. So, you know, if the guy doesn't pay his bill, we know exactly how to how to lock that battery or slow down that vehicle. So if you don't pay your bill on time, we don't lock your vehicle right away. We, we actually make your vehicle go really slow first so we can actually go <laughs> to the bank. And so there are a lot of really interesting bits that we've been able to do with the system. And it's just a bunch of us sitting around the table adding feature upon, upon feature. Think of us really as a smartphone, but except with wheels on it, that is electric. Right. Well, I want to talk about the the smart battery in a minute, but first let's spend just a second on the vehicles because, you know, I think most people's sort of mental image of a scooter is pretty clear, you know, two-wheeled scooter, but it occurs to me, you know, these batteries you make are modular. So, you know, you could theoretically have a vehicle that requires two of them or or three of them or four of them or who, who knows how many. So, you know, you can imagine a lot of different vehicle form factors like what 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 are the sort of uh varieties that are out there now using your batteries yeah we have really low-cost e-bikes that we're working with a partner in yadi in china to ship um that uses a single battery but the you know 
the, the speed on it is not great. It's like uh, about 18 miles an hour, 17 miles an hour, top speed. That's a regulation in China. Oh. That can go pretty much forever, right? That, that battery now can go you know, a, a really, really, really long distance. To now in Taiwan, we have one that is about 50 cc, so a single battery. Uh, but the most popular uh, vehicle in Taiwan or across Asia is 100 to 125 cc. And that requires two batteries in the vehicle. Mm. We also have three wheelers that we ship with now two vehicle maker. One is more um, just a quick, you know, kind of last mile delivery vehicle. Think of it as, you know, Pizza Hut and, and, and those right. guys, Domino right. Pizza. And that's a three wheeler with two battery. And then we have also a, a vehicle maker that's building a kind of wet market, you know, big utility vehicle, three wheeler that uses four battery. Mm. And as, you know, we just recently announced with, uh, you know, a, a, the world's first solid state battery prototype for swappable battery that added about 40% energy density to, to our battery pack. And what that does is that as energy density increases, form factor variety can increase. So, right. you know, can, can one day we do a light, tiny little four wheeler that swap batteries? Today, you might have to swap out eight of them. And it's kind of exhausting to swap out eight of them. I, I imagine once you get up to like four, you're spending a lot of time swapping at that yeah, point. Yeah, I think anything more than a six pack is it, 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 it's, it's a little <laughs> troubling, right? So, you know, I mean, as, as energy density get up in the, let's say, three kilowatt hour type of density, now we're talking about able to, you know, ability to now, you know, create a variety of different form factors. So, you know, this thing has, think of it as, you know, our system is also interoperable. So, you know, our battery that can be placed into a Yamaha vehicle and then the same one that's shipped in the Yamaha vehicle can be placed into the GoGo vehicle and the mm -hmm. Suzuki Taiwan vehicle. And then we've been on three generation of battery, three generation of station, kind of refining and working out all the all that it needs to you know work out in the system. But, you know, the very first vehicle can use the latest battery and vice versa. Uh, the very, you know, very latest vehicle that just shipped literally yesterday can use the very first battery. And we've now just manufactured a one millionth battery. And so, you know, it's, it's really a scale and number, right? And as right. we get more and more vehicles and more and more batteries out, out in the network, the more and more efficient it gets and more and more people. And, and, and unlike a smartphone, you know, having a vehicle that is design appropriate and, you know, if you go on our, on our website, you'll see our vehicles are kind of fun and colorful and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of kind of very eye-catchy. And the reason why we made it very eye-catchy is because unlike a smartphone that you put in your pocket, you know, every vehicle on an intersection is an advertisement. Uh, yeah. So we wanted to, we wanted people to realize that, hey, that guy's, that guy's using something new. That guy's adopting electric, right? That's pretty cool. And so, you know, we wanted to kind of build that momentum, you know, up, you know, as, as we built the population of vehicles on the ground up. Another thing that I, that I thought was really intriguing is that you've um, recently had a few experiments of using the batteries in, you know, non vehicles in other sort of urban things that need sort of low constant power like a parking meters tell us a little bit about that is that is that a is that a direct a big direction you want to go or is that just kind of a little side benefit at this point yeah we started the company you know again you know going back to the word sustainability sustainability is about ticking you know whatever you need out of the earth it's not it's not about doing nothing right it's right. not about just you know wearing nothing eating nothing and sitting there you know it, with nothing <laughs> right it, it's about how did the world become modernized get safer smarter you know and more efficient as you know cities of tomorrow are attracting people coming into the city and so you know as you take a look at our batteries our batteries are great for the first life which is you and me you know, grabbing a hold on onto each other and, and zipping up a bike up a mountain and going out for a ride. That's great. 
just like your electric vehicle. At some point in the future, the battery can no longer propel, you know, such a heavy vehicle or, you know, with the energy demand that a vehicle needs. So instead of retiring those batteries and, and recycling them, we find a second use for them. In cars, I know that's usually around 80% capacity once you sort of uh, uh, degraded down to 80% of original capacity. Is that roughly the same for, for y'all? Roughly the same for two-wheelers. As a matter of fact, the two-wheelers, uh, the energy demand on a two-wheeler you know, of the battery is actually much higher than that of a, a four-wheeler. Because huh. just the sheer amount of energy you have in your car, right? You just bought a vehicle probably 7 kilowatt hour, maybe 80 kilowatt hour. You know, we have we have literally 3.4 kilowatt hour, but you have to <laughs> propel you and your friends up, up a hill. So the amount is it's called C rate. The amount of discharge rate coming out of, out of a little battery is much higher. So, right. so our draw on the battery is much more demanding. Now, that said, once it retires at 80 percent, then we go into what are we going to do with these batteries to extend the life instead of recycling them? And one of the things that it's great for is, you know, we, we have a thesis of portable, swappable power. So you mentioned a smart parking pole. So we're doing a couple thousand smart parking poles in Taiwan this year as a pilot. Again, just like we piloted back in 2015, our battery swapping system for scooters, we're piloting a swappable battery system for uh, smart poles. So in a city like Taipei or other developing world, you know, it's not very orderly. <laughs> and in order to actually create parking meters and parking poles to get organized, it's not like you just paint on the ground and say, oh, you park here. Right. Um, you actually have to try and find ways to penalize and also uh, charge people money for it, right? So now we, we're putting our batteries into these smart parking pole that not only does it not require you to pull power and dig up the ground and, and draw power from the ground, mm. uh, you just use the battery and swap out. So every 20... I think it's 27 days or so we swap out a battery. And then from there, you know, basically it just powers on for 27 days. So now all of a sudden you can, you know, literally we, we turn on a street in a matter of hours to now become a smart street instead of a, you know, a, a non-monitored street, right? And so as we think about all these batteries, there are going to be, you know, a lot of opportunity to do not only turn smart devices to be powered on in, in cities, but also, most recently, we announced a power backup for, uh, you know, the, the, in a place like Taipei or in Taiwan or other cities across India and, and Southeast Asia, rolling blackout is actually something that, that is very common. And the most dangerous part about rolling blackout is the intersection. So we're working to develop a system where we use our battery to back up the streetlights for three hours. So, you know, again, swappable power, right? So coming up to three hours, we go out and swap those batteries out. So it continues to operate the intersection safely. So everything from crosswalk to, you know, red, yellow, green lights, uh, we're able to help cities become smarter and safer. And, and those are the extended use of that battery that can continue the lifespan of that battery for another, I would say, half a decade to a decade easy. Right. So you can use them all, all the way up before you uh, are recycling them. Yeah, and, 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 and I'll dream, honestly, just to give you a philosophy of how we think, the other day we're, we're sitting around the table going, okay, now we've got second life figure out, what's third life? I mean, <laughs> what do we do with it before recycling? And, you know, one of the things that we all raised our hand and said, wouldn't it be great to power education in places like the slum of Mumbai, where people won't be able, you know, kids won't be able to access energy, right? Or, you know, the, the family is not able to access, you know, energy for, for cooking, and, you know, the, it would result in wood stove burning or garbage burning, right, in order to cook. 
Well, imagine these batteries are now fully exhausted when it comes to, you know, it comes to depreciation, it comes to the cost of these batteries. You know, if we can do that before we recycle, that would just light me up, you know, and, <laughs> and that's something that we want to do to, to further humanity. Well, let, let's talk about the batteries for a minute, because I, I think one of the really interesting aspects of this network to me is that you're not primarily putting the sort of computing power and intelligence and tracking and all that kind of stuff in the scooters. You're putting them in the batteries. So the batteries are sort of the smart part <laughs> of this. And that means with batteries going in and out of all these different scooters and all these different banks, you're just gathering an immense amount of information. So I'm just curious, sort of, you know, what does the intelligence, you know, making the batteries smart, what does that allow you to learn about what your customers are doing? And what does it allow you to offer in terms of features? Think of the battery as really a smartphone. It can, it can collect as well as it can dispatch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll talk about the dispatch and, now, and then I'll talk about the collect. One of the great things that we do with our system, you know, from a, you know, you're absolutely right. There's an immense amount of effort that we pay attention to when it comes to machine learning and AI and control system on the back end side of it. So, you know, when we want to upgrade the swapping station, we just literally do a photo from where over the air update to all our stations, you know, and then from there we can update the battery. The battery can actually carry a package and update the vehicle. So with the consumer consent, we can actually add features. So one the you know it, it's actually raining outside in, in Taipei today. Uh, you know we a couple of months ago rolled out ring mode for our you know consumer. So by looking at the weather report, by looking at the area that you happen to be at with your phone, it will say, hey, it looks like it's raining outside. Do you want to actually turn your vehicle on with rain mode on today instead of the regular high power mode? Rain mode is just a little like slower and safer. Yeah, it's it's basically less torque, less less jerk when it comes to the rear wheel, so you don't slip when you turn, you know, when you when you accelerate. And those that feature wasn't available on the first day, right? And so over time, we continue to add feature to the vehicle, and consumer all they have to do is say, "I want it," and then all of a sudden, you know, the vehicle is is updated with the battery pack. Those come with a subscription price. I mean, you get you get those updates uh, as long as you're a subscriber. Yeah, we try to get, you know, the consumer as many updates as possible, making it so that, it, you know, it puts a smile on their face, right? So everything from from that to the vehicle singing happy birthday to you on your, on your birthday. So <laughs> let's say I bought a, second, a vehicle secondhand, David, you know, from you. Right. And then the second I, I register it, the cloud actually knows, you know, like my, my server actually knows that it is me that now owns the vehicle and my birthday is, in, you know, in May instead of your birthday. And it'll sing happy birthday to me on the right day. Um, and that's all, you know, like little delights that you put in there because it's connected, right? There's a connected system. Now, the vice versa also happens. The vehicle data is also collected by the battery and in turn taken back to the swap station and then feed it back to the cloud. So, you know, things from how you use the vehicle, how exhaust, you know, how, how much you deplete the, the, the battery, how often do you swap? Those are all data that we actually kind of kind of use to actually make your experience uh, better so that you can predict when you're going to go to the next station, how much energy you're going to bring back, and then what's most likely your pre preference of, of battery, right? When it comes to performance, do you care about durability or do you care about high performance and thrust? You know, 
And then also on top of that, the data, if you allow us to collect it. So recently we, we launched our, um, you know, usage-based insurance. Uh, first step is really through mileage. But essentially, you know, eventually what we want to work toward is, you know, the, if you are a safe rider, you turn on your blinkers all the time when you, before you make a turn or you don't hard break on your vehicle. We would like to know that data so that we can collect it and give it to the insurance company on your behalf so you can actually save your insurance premium. Those are things that, that a connected system can do that other people cannot. You know, I'm sure everybody listening at this point is having the same question, which is what, what, are, we, what are we doing about privacy here? This seems like um, you know, an immense amount of sort of data exposure. Can customers opt out entirely or sort of what's the, how, do you, how do you safeguard privacy? Yeah, absolutely. You know, where you park your vehicle, we don't take that from, you know, from your GPS location unless you grant us the access to it. Privacy, you know, we can, we all came from, you know, working on smartphones. So you can only imagine the scrutiny that, you know, <laughs> me and my team actually, you know, is well aware of and we, we practice it every day. We only do it with the consumer consent. So, you know, everything from subscribing to the battery to, you know, letting us know where you swap or, you know, letting us know where you park. You know, all of that is actually, um, you know, with, you know, user per- permission. Absolutely. Is this the kind of thing, though, that's buried somewhere in a long uh, agreement that I just click, <laughs> that I just click yes to in the process of subscribing? Or is it more, is there something more sort of granular and in your face? Like how? So take a look at the insurance one. You know, without you granting us permission to work with the insurance company, specifically on that feature, mm-hmm. we do not do it. We do not take your data and share it anywhere else. Now, that said, though, we do look at whether or not your vehicle ticked. So, so for example, if your vehicle crashed, on, you know, you dropped it on the left side, our, our gravity sensor or our gyro sensor inside the vehicle registers it. And that's not really for the insurance company, but it's actually for our, uh, our workshop. So by the time you come in, and the guy actually takes your, your wireless key, or in this case, we, you know, our latest vehicle uses an NFC card, so you don't even need to use a, use a key. We swipe the NFC card, and your log comes up in the, in the service center and actually sees that you tipped your vehicle on the left side, and the mechanic needs to pay more attention to the left side mm. of the vehicle to make sure that the brake lever has not been bent. You know, make sure that everything is tip-top shape on the left side of the vehicle. You know, it's really for the customer's safety. But we're really within a, a confined use, not really a related to privacy, but really more related to safety and, 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 and servicing that we do that with. Well, I have a bit of a sort of a related question to the privacy question, which is, you know, we've, we've gotten very familiar in the tech space with sort of platforms, networks, and sort of uh, the way that the, the first mover company can get these network effects that make it very difficult for competitors to come in. You know, sort of Facebook is the classic example of this. So if I'm imagining all these different vehicles from all these different brands, but everyone's using your batteries connected to your sort of central banks and with your sort of information, that looks a little bit like a monopoly. So how do you, how do you, not, how do you not abuse that? power is it possible for other networks to come in and and compete well absolutely i think anytime you, you ask a really good question so i think the, the the first thing we need to do is make sure that we practice with fairness and with the consumer's interest in you know first and foremost to be honest with you, we, we're, we're as a company today is ever positive but also at the same time we are 
still, you know, losing money to to build out the technology and build out the investment it needs to for the for the network. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, we're ninety five percent market share because of just how fast we've built it out and how 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 much we've actually built out in in Taiwan alone. Now that said, though, we got to make sure that that the the consumer always have a pricing. I would say grandfather ability. So when you bought a vehicle, right? If you don't change your plan, your your cost of owning that vehicle remain the same until until the end of end of that vehicle's life. Um, so we maintain that to make sure, make sure that the consumer feels like they're not being being strong on in any sense. That's the first thing that we need to make sure we do. You don't raise subscription rates on individual consumers uh, in the middle of their subscription. Exactly. We raise it, however, because our cost does go up, electricity cost does go up, or our, you know, recently with you know with with electronics components, and you know everybody's you know well aware of the inflation that's happening globally. You know, so prices do go up on on, on components and cost of us running the network. So we you know we grandfather the existing customer, but for new customers, we make sure that you know we do you know we do raise it on them instead, right? So you know as consumer comes in. You know they can feel confident that what they signed up for is what they get. Uh, so that's really, really important. Just to stick on that point for a second, that is great that you do that. But if you have ninety five percent market share, you know maybe someday you retire and a less <laughs> benevolent CEO takes over. What's to stop? You know what I mean? Like this is the whole problem of monopoly. Like what would stop you from? changing that policy and deciding later once you've got every lo- everybody locked into the network do you, under- you you see the concern i'm i'm trying to express here like it's yeah a- yeah i think you know you know i mean will i retire one day probably in the, <laughs> in, the in the distance future but will you know will fairness come into play so for example right we enable a uh, a plan on our network called the flex plan so on when you when you ride out and you're you know just like you're you're looking on your phone looking for a charge station, we actually have an app that shows you all the station and more importantly shows you station where stations are stressed and some stations have extra energy that is ready to be distributed and for that we'll give you a discount and so you know instead of left side of the street you go to the right side of the street and you know swapping a battery you get actually a discount for for that swap. We will continue to invest in things that allow the consumer to have flexibility to actually, you know, in some way, game the system so that they can actually get even cheaper if they want. Right. Now, that said, we 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 at a company have a very, you know, we're about two thousand people at the moment. And the management team, you know, and the and the back office about you know a hundred to two hundred people or so, and the engineers makes up about another four hundred or so. But every, you know, I would say that the culture is so strong based on a couple of things. You know, we always say inside, you know, we always have a slogan that says, do good, do well, and have fun doing it. So do good is the, is the first thing we need to do. You know, not about just sustainability, but we need to do good as far as, you know, building something that's fair, something that's great for the consumer to have. You know, brand credibility is all we got. If people, you know, the second that people say, hey, you know what, this guy has got me strong arm. You know, the escape cost of getting out of that vehicle is, you know, it's only it's only a couple hundred bucks, right? It's, you know, the residual value in the vehicle. So it's not hard for a consumer to get out, right? Well, that's sort of my question. Like, I could get out of your network, but are there competing networks? Are there other companies trying trying to even do this? Like, is there another swappable two-wheeler uh, battery that I could go to if I, for whatever reason, wanted to leave GoGro? Yeah, in Taiwan there there is, 
There's another company which is created by the largest uh, gas vehicle maker in Taiwan uh, that has actually built up their their network. Last year, they you know they, they continue to try to do promotions to attract consumers to go over to their side mm. uh, to the point where they were offering free rides, like literally <laughs> for free. You can swap batteries for free. Um, you just buy the vehicle and don't have to pay a dollar for for a subscription. Uh, but you know you said one thing, which is network effect. Network effect is both from a business perspective and also from a convenience and user experience perspective. Yeah, we have so many batteries and so many stations on the ground today. The consumers, although the other guys are cheaper, the other guys are more you know aggressive when it comes to throwing dollars at it. Mm-hmm. That at the end of the day, it's not just about you know how much you're charging the consumer; it's really about the value the consumer gets. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important part that people need to understand: is that you know we're not competing dollar for a dollar. Giving something away is you know it only lasts so long, but we have to actually create a user experience that right. is so unique, that is so so much a, a game changer when it comes to owning you know a mobility solution right that you can actually you know you can actually you can actually say i want that and want doesn't mean that you know it's a dollar amount want is something that you, that is more emotional right and that's something that we definitely you know the heartstring that definitely we're plugging to in, in in taiwan and has worked so you know worked very well so far you know, in addition to that, we also created uh, probably you know one of the most efficient ride-sharing network called GoShare on our on our system. So you know, the, our our platform not only allows that user experience to be had when you own the vehicle, but we have about six thousand vehicles roaming, roaming around Taiwan today that allow the consumers to use an app, kind of like your your bird and your line in, oh, in, like a ride, in the like, states. Yeah, so you can yeah. you can temporarily rent a vehicle basically short-term rental yeah yeah but the difference is there's no range anxiety because we have so many swapping network you know so much uh, swapping station in the network that consumer just picks up a vehicle and in the mid ride or beginning the ride they can actually swap out a battery so we have had people go take a vehicle for two days and ride around the island of taiwan over 70 percent of our refueling on our network on our ride sharing network is actually swapped by the uh swapped by the consumer so think of it as a hotel room that kind of cleans itself, right? So, <laughs> you know, the maintenance cost is really low. The OPEX cost is really low. Uh, and, and it allows a consumer to, to use the identical user experience as the vehicle they own. Right. But, you know, maybe they, you know, this time they're going out for, you know, hang out with friends to go drinking. So they don't want to ride their own vehicle. They ride, you know, one of our GoShare to the bar. And then on the way back, they ride a taxi or, or hail Uber instead. So, you know, allows, a, allows the, a lot of flexibility, you know, when it comes to what we call a platform to enable a number of solutions out in the, in the market. So there, there's ride sharing built into the whole model then in addition to, to ownership. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We have overlap of consumers. So people that buy our vehicle loves, loves riding a GoGo, loves, you know, swapping batteries as a mean of refueling. And then they, they just sign up to go share and, and off they go. Um, so, you know, same user experience, same type of vehicle, except, you know, sometimes you can ride your own and sometimes you can ride a, a sharing one that's, you know, on the, on the street next to you. One of the big things I wanted to ask about is, you know, here in the U.S., uh, there's a lot of talk everywhere that's got EVs now. There's a, there's a lot of talk about, you know, an EV fleet is a huge distributed battery you know it's just a, an enormous amount of distributed energy storage and there's a lot of talk about trying to hook those batteries up to the grid 
such that they could, in addition to serving their primary purpose, also be relied on for grid stability. You know, you should store excess energy in them when you need to take energy from them when you're when you have a shortage. So it occurs to me that these battery banks, these sort of vending battery vending machines that you have all over, um, you know, Taiwan, for example, are all themselves big batteries <laughs> and they and and so you you are sort of building yourself a a giant distributed storage network so i'm just curious are you talking to grid operators trying to cook those things up to the grid such that they could serve this ancillary purpose of grid stability because it seems like it would be incredibly useful for for the grid i don't know if the quantities are enough that they make a material difference on the grid, but it seems just in theory, like it would be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's something that we've been working on and prototyping with the, with a grid provider here in Taiwan. Hmm. Um, our stations that you see on our, on our website are bi-directional ready. Uh, today in our network, you know, is there enough? You know, we have close to about 200 megawatts hour of batteries on the grid at any time um you know the difference is you know if you're talking about tesla you're talking about a porsche you're talking about you know a a bolt whatever ev you're talking about unfortunately a battery that is not owned by the provider and it doesn't come home every you know often it it just you know it's it's the consumer's choice right right the difference is we have actually that battery back on the rack uh every couple of days and at any time, we have close to about 200 megawatt hour batteries, like literally on, on the rack that you're talking about. And so we're working on things like, for example, uh, to do bi-directional. So when the grid needs it, we can actually push that energy back to the provider um, to, you know, kind of overcharging of energy. Uh, and also what we're doing is demand response. So we're working with NLX, you know, the world's largest uh, virtual power planting uh, provider to do demand response. So the, the grid performs at about 65 hertz. Uh, and then if all of a sudden it says, hey, we see a surge coming, people need to stop. Whoever can stop gets paid. And our stations are can instantaneously swap the stop, all, all of them. Right. And we are able to then, you know, participate in that in that model. Where not only are we making, you know, like you said, extra revenue from that, and today is not very meaningful. We're still developing the technology, but you know, one day it could be as we become the, you know, the, the de facto standard and the massively deployed, you know, batteries that we're we're talking about, then it becomes really meaningful. That that revenue stream can become very very meaningful. Because with EVs, like you say, with every consumer owning their own battery, the the big challenge to vehicle to grid coordination stuff is the coordination itself, is those sort of soft costs of like trying to network everyone together and coordinate with everyone and talk with everyone about what they're willing to do. But you have that sort of problem solved out of the box, right? Like all your batteries are already connected. You're already in communication with all of them. So it's just seems primed and ready to uh, to hook up to the grid. Yeah. Like, for example, you know, that not only does it do that, but also, for example, there was a uh, about a month and a half ago, Taiwan had a huge blackout. 40% of all households experience a you know, power outage. And you know, during that time, most of our station, except the, the very early station, all of our station can actually back up energy anywhere from 48 hours to 64 hours, mm. uh, where you know, even if there's no power, it can still swap out a battery. 
And, you know, technology like, uh, for example, battery to battery charging is something that we're working on so that eventually somebody can say, hey, you know, I have extra energy. I'm going to put it back on the on the station so that somebody else gets to have, you know, enough energy to take, you know, to go pick up their kids and go home. And so, you know, the, the, the energy is really at the center. You know, I always say to, to my team, energy is really at the center of all human innovation. The mm-hmm. fact that you and I are talking to each other on podcasts, the fact that we get to record it, the fact that I have earbuds on. It has all to do with energy. And if we actually think of these, you know, what GoGo is making is portable, distributed, connected, smart energy, you know, units and mobility just being one part of it and smart city being another, the limit is really on the imagination of what we can do with it. And everything that you mentioned, I, you know, it sounds weird, right? Everything you mentioned is like, yeah, I'm working on that. Yeah, I got something. <laughs> you know, because it, it, it is really just a matter of just, focus and getting it done stations have that have power in it that have battery in it can do you know demand response to the grid can do battery to battery charging that they can actually take you know for example two half charge battery and provide one fully charged one right mm. we can also have you know station and, and and opera charging that energy back to the grid you know in taiwan today opera charging doesn't make a lot of money but in a place like you know for example brazil Right, Brazil. You know, if you ever deploy in Brazil, opera charging can be as much as thirty to one. I can buy energy a dollar, and at the right time, sell it back to up to twenty to thirty dollars <laughs> for a kilowatt hour. There's huge amount of opportunity, not only for us to do good and and provide a a modern, safe, connected energy system that powers mobility, but also at the same time, you know, it, it's a the business needs to be sustainable. And if we can create a sustainable business that actually does sustainability, everything then makes sense. Too many times do I find companies that are trying to either do greenwashing or they're riding on you know the sustainability trend, but when you look at the mathematics, it just doesn't work. You know, unit economics on a business has got to fundamentally work. And if you look mm-hmm. at what GoGo is today, is every individual that comes on the network today is contribution margin positive on our battery swapping network. Well, and also just batteries in general, this is something I've written about about batteries before is every increment of cost decline you get in batteries, you're not just doing the things batteries were doing more cheaply, you are opening up new applications, you're opening up new ways to use them. So, so you know, like this, I've been waiting for a long time for both solar generation and energy storage to just get so small and modular and cheap and ubiquitous that they're just infused throughout the city, right? And then, like you said, it's just you could let your imagination run. Like, what can you do with a city that has energy storage basically infused throughout it? Exactly. And that's exactly what we're working on. You know, having these stations kind of placed almost as, as a frequency of ATM stations across town, right? And, you know, being able to, to have these energy storage that – it's just literally within seconds accessible by the consumer makes turning over to smart connected electric a lot easier than let's say if you were demanding somebody to charge and have to sit stand out there in the rain right. or in the storm and you know wait for it you know i you know i i, I own an electric vehicle too and in a four-wheeler as well as you know of course my 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 several go girls that i own you know charging and sitting in, a, in inside a, a car is easy because you can plug it in and you can do email you can listen to music i mm. even watch movies sometimes right and but you know that luxury or that privilege cannot be had with the masses right mm. if you look at you know ho chi minh city and you look at 
you know, Bangkok and you look at, you know, I, I still remember when I was growing up, I had a poster of the Lamborghini Countach, you know, that, <laughs> that was my dream car. And today what people have on the wall, what the next generation has on the wall is the Tesla Roadster mm. or, you know, or, or, or the Porsche Taycan, right? And, you know, how many people can actually own a Lamborghini Countach? Not many. And how many people in those emerging countries can own, you know, the, the Tesla Roadster or the Porsche Taycan? Probably, again, not very many. But definitely the trend of electric is here to stay. And as you think about, you know, us pivoting to this decade or two decades of electric mobility and sustainability, these young folks, you know, now in their teens are going to grow up to be decision makers of tomorrow. And if they can access these vehicles that are, you know, that are even cooler than, than let's say, just a plug-in charging two-wheeler or four-wheeler, you know, wouldn't that be cool, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? And that is the market that we're going after. You know, a market that has, you know, half a billion installed in, uh, in Asia getting ready to pivot to, to electric. So, you know, in Taiwan, for example, I mentioned 14 million vehicles on the road. By, you know, government just a couple of weeks ago made an announcement that by 2040, no gasoline vehicles could be sold. So that oh, wow. by 2050, all vehicles on road will be electric. And there are milestones to that, right? You know, 2030, 35%, 2035, you know, 70%, right. 2040, you know, 100% has to be sold that are electric. Speaking of the future, I meant to ask you about this when you mentioned it earlier, but but let's hit it now because I don't want to let it uh, drift away. You mentioned you're working or you announced recently a sort of prototype solid state battery, which, uh, you know, for listeners, we don't have to get into the technical aspects, but it's just much more energy dense. You can get you fit a lot more energy into your battery. And of course, you know, everything we've been talking about that you could do with this distributed energy storage would be ramped up and accelerated if you, you know, got a, got a 30 or 50% whatever bump in your energy density. So when, when is that? How close is that to reality? Uh, we're, you know, we're the first in the world to really put it into a package that allows people, you know, a lot of times when you talk about, you know, solid state batteries, you see a lot of, you know, guys coming out of the lab or startups that are creating this, this membrane or film that, you know, that, that allows solid state to happen or, you know, in a small package, you know, we actually packed it into a battery pack that actually was functional. That looks and is shaped like your other batteries, basically. Identical. Works identical. You know, the energy density that we're targeting in several years will be 40% higher. Mm. You know, we're commercializing probably later half of this decade, probably. It's, it's, it's commercialable. Now, what, is it feasible? That's, a, that's, a, that's the next question. Can it get to a, you know, a, a system where you're seeing a uh, shift to complete solid state? You know, I, I think it's going to take time. I think it's going to take time. It's just like a hard drives and solid state drives. You know, in the middle, you probably see some sort of hybrid system. Right. You know, guys that are using solid state, but, you know, for very, very premium cases. And then, you know, hard drive continues to have, you know, the density that, that you know, rotational platters ha- has, right? And so, you know, we are definitely staying ahead. And one of the things that we're doing as a company is, we always look at new technology and always look at the application of such new technology and to make sure that we're looking out for the best interests of the consumer, right? Because if, if we can provide that for the consumer at an earlier time, that will only translate to a happy consumer that then ha- translates to a happy go-go, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, uh, we, you know, to, to give you a, a short answer, probably second half of this decade, solid state battery, you see some, you know, you see some momentum in that space, but is it fully 
feasible and commercializable in the masses, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a tad longer than that. Right. Because just because of how, how lithium ion is, you know, how much capacity is built up in lithium ion, right? Yeah. How many, you know, people like LG, SDI, you know, Panasonic, who are our suppliers, have built out tremendous amount of capacity in, you know, in, in the US, in Europe, and in, in Asia. And that capacity has to, you know, it, it takes time for that for that to ramp down as well as, you know, as, as well as the cost economics is going to get better and better because of, because of just the amount of, uh, of capacity there are. As a final question, um, the one thing we sort of didn't get into is sort of where this is now and more to the point for my listeners is, you know, you, you say that you require a certain amount of density, you know, a certain amount of a sort of urban density for this to work, for the network to work. Where are you now? Where are you going? And is there anywhere in the U.S., is there a single city in the U.S. that is dense enough that you think you could pull this off here? Yeah, a lot of my friends are from the U.S. Uh, I grew up in the U.S. I, my, my early part of career is the U.S. I, lots of people raise their hand and say, I, I want in my city and I want to find <laughs> there too. I think one of the most essential things that we, don't, we have to do is, as a company is, is really to focus on the biggest biggest challenge and opportunity ahead you know with every challenge comes a, a great opportunity and we're now in you know for example in china the world's largest two-wheel market mm. uh, with the number one and number one number one electric vehicle maker yadi and partnering with the number one gasoline vehicle maker da Changjiang in china we're also working on the second largest market in india and looking to deploy end of this year or you know early next year uh, and then we're also working with Indonesia. Right now, at this moment, how many cities are you are, are you operating in Taiwan and and what else? Uh, I'm in Taiwan across you know all the cities in Taiwan. Uh, we're in China uh, in Hangzhou, Wuxi, Kunming, and you know several more to come uh, very soon. Uh, we are actually in Seoul, mm. uh, mainly for food delivery. We're in Seoul, Korea. We're in Japan uh, with uh, tourism, uh, you know, kind of doing rentals of two-wheelers. Uh, we are also in uh, Germany with a ride-sharing service, oh. uh, providing our vehicle and swap, swapping solution in Germany. Uh, we are, have a pilot in Jakarta uh, in, you know, with, uh, with GoTo and GoJack. They have, GoTo has about 2 million riders on the network that's looking to turn electric through battery swapping. Uh, probably by you know by the end of this decade, uh, so you know a lot of a lot of uh, conversation, a lot of pro, you know pilots, and a lot of you know expansion. We just listed on the Nasdaq under the ticket GGR, and the you know the reason we went listed on the Nasdaq is really to to get ready for expansion. We needed the capital, we needed the transparency, we needed to grow the team, and you know going on the Nasdaq and 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 getting us. Uh, to be a publicly traded company enable us to now go very very fast into those uh, regions, and so you know we dabble in energy storage. We we are you know wholly focused on battery swapping for mobility. We got you know uh, portable energy for smart city solution and smart parking pole and safety. We got ride sharing. We got rental. We got food delivery. So GoGoRo is kind of like you know it goes back to the thesis. Uh, the energy is at the center of all human innovation and we can actually take what we're doing and enable different businesses to enable what they care about to to become real now because of our platform i didn't hear any u.s cities on your list <laughs> you know we're, we're working on it i you know i wouldn't say never i would not say never 
um, there has been, you know, a lot of looking at, you know, like, for example, places like Austin, places like Seattle, where traffic is terrible, you know, places like, you know, other places in San Francisco, right? So we, we look at them, we continue to see them, but it's a question of resources. We are, right, right. you know, we're 2000 people, you know, we're about to attack three of the largest markets in the world. <laughs> and with three, you know, with, with several of the largest partners and focus is really important for us. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and taking all this time. It's really, uh, it's really fascinating. It's a whole sort of, the whole world of two wheelers is just something I don't, I don't have a lot of occasion to think about it really. It's, uh, it's interesting to dig in. Yeah, the, the world is, you know, if you ever come to the, the east side of the hemisphere, you'll see that more people travel on two wheels. You know, a great, great example is India. India, you know, 80% of all commute miles done, done every day is done on two wheelers. 60% of all gasoline that is spent every year is on two wheelers. Wow. That's how big the market is. But most people don't realize that in the, in the West. Yeah. And, you know, we live in one blue ball, right? And if... <laughs> You know, if, if, if Europe becomes better, if the U.S. becomes better, if Canada is good, but what about everything else, right? If everything else is not good, then that would just eventually creep over to the West. And that, right. that is a problem that, you know, a lot of us move to the East to go solve. And that's something that we're, we're just, you know, adamant about. We've got to make the planet a better planet so that our next generation can have one, you know? And that, I mean, it's, it comes to that. We are now at this critical point where we got to do innovators business leaders got to put their resources and their time on sustainability, not just because it makes good business sense, but it just makes humanity, you know, it's it's essential for humanity. And that's something that we're, you know, we as a team is so passionate about. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And uh, and, uh, good luck with all your uh, expansions. Okay, great. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to the Volts Podcast. It is ad-free, powered entirely by listeners like you. If you value conversations like this, please consider becoming a paid Volts subscriber at volts.wtf. Yes, that's volts.wtf, so that I can continue doing this work. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.